Welcome to the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast with your host, Ahmed Abdelkader. And Eric Olson. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast. Uh, Ahmed and Eric here. And today we're going to be talking about interviews. Um, And so I have just completed, I assume, maybe a potential couple interviews remaining, but for the most part, completed an interview cycle. Eric has since long completed his uh, med school interview cycle. And we figured uh, for those of you who are curious, for those of you who are about to apply to med school, uh, it could be an awesome opportunity to talk about what that interview experience is like, what you know Eric has found to be successful what sorts of things I've experienced, and maybe we compare and contrast a little bit how the med school interview has evolved from a pre and post COVID era. And so Eric, obviously you interviewed uh, pre COVID, um, would have been late 2010s. Yeah, it was, uh, I guess it was like late 2018, early 2019. I think, yeah, because I graduated. I finished college in 2019 and started medical school the same year. Right. And so you were interviewing in the ancient era of in-person med school interviews. Yeah, it's kind of funny you say it was pre-COVID because at the time, when I think about that time in my life, I don't separate it by pre or post-COVID. It was just like, I'm just doing medical school interviews, but now we have to put everything in context of COVID. So it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, it was all in person, a lot of flying around, uh, a lot of like wearing the same suit to all my interviews and trying to pick out a tie that I thought people would like, you know, I went to a state school and I would wear the state school colors and right. actually you're not asking, but I did go to a non-state school for an interview. It was like, you know, not a place with the big sports program or anything. Um, but I was wearing inadvertently wearing colors of the rival school from the program yeah. direct the, the the individual who was who was interviewing me i got, i put it in terms of program director because that's how i think of it in residency interviews but yeah i went into this interview and they're like oh you're wearing these colors like i can't believe you'd wear something like that and so so it mattered a lot i guess you still have the same thing with uh with zoom interviews but uh yeah yeah, yeah. did uh did you end up getting into that school I did not. <laughs> I hope that that didn't play into it, you know, but uh, you never yeah. know. You never uh, know. It's funny, though. I like subconsciously sort of thought the same things as I was going through this interview cycle. You know, I interviewed at a school that had purple as their primary color. I wore a purple dress shirt and school with red as their primary color, red tie. And so like you got to show some interest, you know? Yeah. And I think it's subtle, but it, you know, it, it I don't know. I think it's a gesture. And granted, like I didn't go out and buy any of these items. Like these were things I already had. Yeah. Would I justify spending, you know, 50 bucks on a dress shirt to match the color of the school I'm applying to? Depends on how much money you have, I think. Do you have 50 bucks to blow? If so, then maybe. But uh, I think even if I did, like there's some colors where, you know, I'm probably not wearing that dress shirt again. Purple being a prime example. I just happen to have it because it was a hand-me-down from my dad. But like, if I didn't have it, no chance I was going out yeah. and buying one. Now, granted, I could I could buy a purple tie because I think ties are a little bit cheaper than uh, dress shirts anyway. But like, I think, you know, white dress shirt, purple tie could have looked pretty sleek. But it's pretty it's it's easy from kind of a male perspective. You know, all you have to do is wear the white the white dress shirt and whatever yeah. tie that you want from a female perspective. I don't know if I can really speak to it, but it seems like it might be a little bit harder to to 100%. match the, uh, the sentiment of the school. 100 percent. I think so. Go ahead. Male interview uh, apparel. Like you said, it's just swapping out the tie. And like, I'm no expert in female formal fashion. They got 10 times fast, but, uh, you know, definitely more difficult. But um, in terms of flying around the country, I, you know, for me, I always enjoyed traveling for like conferences and stuff because I felt like I was a big deal. 
definitely was yeah. not. But like, you just get this feeling of like, you know, I'm flying across the country with a purpose, right? Yeah. And what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it's different from my perspective from a conference for a few reasons. And one is because I haven't been to too many conferences. So I'll, I'll start off with that. But the few that I have, I've had some sort of funding. Like either right. I got a grant from the conference itself or, you know, my my program or my school was giving me some money to go. And so I kind of felt like I was getting away with something, you know, because I was doing it on someone else's dime. Right. Uh, whereas with the medical school interviews, you know, again, you're, you're paying for it all. And so it's, um, and, you know, I didn't have very much money and I, I was cheap, as I think I alluded to on our last call. So I was like, What's the red eye? Like, what's the absolute cheapest I can do? I'm not, right. I don't need a bag. I'll just wear my suit on the plane and then I'll just get off and do the interview and then I'll get back on the plane in the suit still. You know what I mean? It was not a pretty time. Um, you know, it's kind of fun to go and see those places. And I did, I took my wife uh, to a couple of those interviews just for fun to kind of do something because you do, you want to enjoy it and, and, and right. kind of make the most of the you know, the opportunity to go to these different places. 100%. Um, but at the same time, you know, and and, and it, my experience was maybe a little bit different from most people's experiences at the time in that I was a traditional applicant. And so I was, I was still in school at the time. And I had kind of finagled my schedule because I had hoped that I would be interviewing during my senior year. And so I had left some of the easier classes to the end, right? So it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But again, you know, the trying to not be out of school and making sure I was back in back at university for the important times, trying to save as much money as possible. It was, you know, there was some self-importance going on that was kind of fun, like feeling right. like I was doing something important and I had gotten all these interviews and it was like it was a trophy for me. But I think the stress and the expense and all those things, I think I think that kind of outweighed the fun of it for me. Which is unfortunate. I think if you were not in school, I mean, you'd probably have a job. I guess I can't really speak to that, but but I would hope that I hope that people had more fun on the interview trail during that time than I did because it was it was a pretty uh, pretty stressful time. And, and of course, yeah, you know, you're going into these you're going into these interviews, and you know, you've been to these interviews. You're just thinking about all the ways that can go wrong and trying to remember all the things that you put on your resume and how you answered the essay questions and all these things, Yeah, you know, they can ask you about anything. And so it's just, there's a lot going on in your head uh, that can be hard to deal with. Right. And I think even there, like things have changed now where obviously I've done all of my interviews online. So uh, there's been no expense. There's been no travel. Um, and I think, you know, I optimally have it that way. I'm in a gap year, so I don't have the the school element to worry about. I'm fortunate enough to be working here at Jack Weston where I've got a ton of flexibility. Um, and so but a ton of responsibility too, right? And you're that's you're true. Busy that with, is true. With all of those things. Um, I think if I were to put myself in your shoes, I would have liked to go and obviously, you know, this wouldn't have been something in my power, but like if I took all of my interviews, I would have liked to go to like maybe half of them. Some of them, you know, I'm more than happy to do them virtually. Uh, some of them though, I think it would have been cool. Like, you know, obviously I, I'm working and uh, I don't, I don't want to fly to all of these places for the same reason you mentioned from an expense standpoint, but I think it'd be cool to go to a handful of these places and just like check out the school, check out the city, check out, you know, and just like that, that feeling of, you know, like, like I said earlier, just traveling with a purpose. But I think it is, you know, it is interesting. Sorry to butt in, but I just no. have to say, you know, it is interesting. Um, you get so much more. As someone who did the, the in-person interviewing and then did virtual interviewing as I did residency interviews, you just don't you just don't really get a vibe when you're doing the virtual interviews, you know, and that's that's part of the detriment. I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, I think it opens it up to people who might not have the financial means to be able to do as much traveling and things like right. that. Um, but you really just don't get as much of a feel and a flavor for what a place is like um, yeah. with the virtual interviewing as you would with in person. And it's interesting now. And I don't know what the medical school landscape looks like 
but for for residency interviews this last year um programs were encouraged not to give you the option of either doing a virtual interview or doing an in-person interview because it introduces some bias, right? You meet someone in person, it's it's different from meeting someone online. And so those people may or may not, may have an advantage or a disadvantage depending on you know how they do. But right. um, I did have a couple of programs that said, oh, you can come, you can come in person or you could do virtual. And I went both ways on some of those, just like you're saying, you know, some of them I went to in person, some of them I did virtually. Um, and it is, it is definitely a, a very different experience. I find myself wondering, and I wondered in this last year, you know, what what's going to happen with that moving forward? So, so were all of your interviews? I'm guessing you didn't you didn't have the option to do anything in person. Didn't have the option to do anything in person, and even with the virtual interviews, three different formats. One of them was completely async, so I didn't speak really? to anyone. I just spoke to the camera, given the prompts, and that one I had. Um, it was uh, two minutes of prep time. You had five minutes to answer the main prompt, and then you were given 20 seconds to prep for a follow-up, to which okay. you had three minutes to respond. And um, prepping for the follow-up was tough because like, yeah. some of them like required a decent amount of thought, but you get 20 seconds. And it's like, well, uh, you, know, you, you build off of what you said in the main prompt, but they weren't always the most integrated we'll say sure. um and so that was one type that i had most of them were and like this they're all basically mmi based uh yeah. you know some schools i know have like you know very traditional open file single person interview for like an hour um a friend of mine interviewed at a school where he had an interview for an hour with a student and then an interview for an hour with like a faculty member on different days and it was just open file discussion type of thing i didn't have interviews yeah yeah for me personally i was you know my friend and i chatted about this i think i perform better in an mmi setting because i i view that as i have more opportunities to sort of recruit advocates for my application so to speak um and so even within the MMIs that I had, different formats. One of them was purely MMI, where I'm trying to remember how many stations there were, I think eight, two of which were rest stations. And so I had mm. six like active stations. And, uh, but they were all MMI, all closed file. Um, nope. you know, Sorry, but before you continue, just because I think probably most people are familiar with this, but some people maybe kind of listening and just started starting to get into the application to medical school space. So can you kind of tell us about what MMI is, what that means? Yeah. It's like, and so appreciate you pointing that out, Eric, the MMI stands for multiple mini interview. And so as the name suggests, there's multiple stations and there are mini interviews rather than those long, you know, panel or one off like single individual hour long interviews that I had mentioned a friend of mine had earlier. And so it's like, the speed dating of the the med school process where uh, you know you interact with lots of different interviewers and you get lots of different scenarios and prompts and you know you you do your best to respond to each of them and even within the MMIs that I had different formats so one I had that I was just mentioning was all just you know your typical MMI stations uh, another one I had was 10 stations as opposed to eight. The stations were also longer. Uh, I think these ones were 10 minutes instead of eight minutes. Um, and so that interview block ended up taking two hours as opposed to like an hour 15 or so. And that one actually had a traditional component embedded within mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. so one of those 10 stations was, um, you know, a traditional open file interview Um so this was like a 20 minute station. Um, and so you've got somebody who has your application open. Um, in this particular case, I actually didn't get asked a lot about points on my application. It was more sort of, you know, why medicine, why us type of thing. Um, but what I learned, you know, in this interview prep process is when you get those traditional interviews, you need to keep in mind 
these people interviewing you are indeed your advocates. They're not looking for reasons to keep you out. They're looking for strengths of yours to go present to the admissions committee. And so uh, even if you have somebody who does a good job at masking their emotions, right? Because these are people who are trained not to respond one way or another. Now, granted, occasionally you might get a smile out of somebody. And I actually, uh, ironically enough, I had uh, an interviewer verbatim say, oh, I like that to one of my answers. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm glad you like it. And uh, he even said, he even said, uh, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm like, hey, I'll get secret safe. Um, but Except for on this podcast that you're talking about. Hey, you know, John <laughs> Doe. No names. Yeah. yeah. John Doe from University X. Um, yeah. Honestly, I don't even remember the gentleman's name. But, um, you know, it, it's for me, like I was saying, you know, I appreciate the MMI environment because it gives me more opportunities to interact with people. And for me, I'm always of the mindset, and you know, I've I've become comfortable socially just through experience. You know, whether that was playing sports in college or working with different companies and different age groups and things like that. Um, and even as a kid, you know, I was always a talkative kid, and uh, I had to be told to be quiet, so I was never the sh- the shy one or anything. Um, yeah, so for me, being able to interact with multiple interviewers, I always felt was to my advantage. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously the the results of these interviews are still pending. So sure. um, you know, I'll get back to you guys with how they went. But um it, it's interesting to see how the the interview landscape has changed. And sure. you know, I know for me, and I know you can speak to this as well, Eric, but like our prep probably varied slightly. Like for me, uh a lot of these interviews I knew going into them were gonna be closed file. And so mm. I didn't refer back to my primary or secondary applications like at all for most of them. Um, a handful were either fully or partially open file. And in those cases, obviously, you know, you got to go back and make sure that, uh, and granted, this shouldn't take a lot of time because if you were truthful on your application, a lot of this stuff comes organically. But you go back and you revisit, you know, when did I start here? When did I finish here? How many hours did I commit to this? Who are my reference letters? Uh, things like that. But honestly, for me, the ones that I had to review more were the secondary application. Like, what did I say specific to this school that I can build on in an interview? But I'm curious, of your interviews, Eric, were most of them open file? Yeah, they were. Um, we did have some MMIs, and I think we were kind of trending in that direction at that time, you know, five years ago. Um, but I think most of them were open file. And I, I had a similar experience actually to what you kind of alluded to previously, which which was that I, you know, I would study my application and there were, I, I can think of one particular experience that I had. I lived in Brazil for a couple of years. Uh, I was a missionary. And so I learned to speak Portuguese. Oh, cool. And um, I, it was on my application, you know, I was fluent in Portuguese um, and I was pretty recently back from Brazil at that time, you know, within a couple of years, two, three years. Um, and so my Portuguese was still pretty good and, you know, it's, it's okay right now. It's still okay. But I was, I was ready to speak Portuguese with people if they wanted to. Um, and I remember I, one of these flights that it was, it was a red eye flight and I rolled into this, you know, university in the morning, um, without having gotten any sleep and I hadn't reviewed my application and the individual came into the room and, and started speaking Portuguese to me. And I was like, uh, it just kind of disoriented and caught off guard. Right. And um, I really hesitated. And then she shifted to English. And I think she took that as like, this guy, this is a lie. You know, like this guy doesn't actually speak Portuguese. And I was, right. you know, at that point, I was really flabbergasted. And, and I, I think I did not do particularly well in that interview. And it kind of speaks right. to the importance of knowing knowing your file. And again, that was something right. that I knew about myself. Obviously, I could speak the language. Um, but sometimes those things will come up. I would say similar to what you said, that even in those open file interviews, it was my experience that most of the time they aren't grilling you on, you know, the little details of your application. I felt like right. a lot of the advice that I got was like, if you're going to put, you know, a research item down, if you're going to put a presentation that you did or, you know, a volunteer activity that you did, you need to know, like, what was it? When did you do it? You know, what were the activities involved? What did you learn from that experience? How is it going to make you a better doctor? And kind of have... right 
not canned answers for all of those things, but at least have given it some thought. But I similarly found that most of the questions that I got, um, and you know, it's it's not all of the questions that I got, but many were more. There was a lot more conversation, a lot less. I'm your interviewer, and here are the questions that I have for you to answer. Right. I think that happens at some institutions and with some particular interviewers. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, variability between interviewers, but I think for the most part, they wanted to, like you said. Why are you interested in medicine? Why are you coming to this institution? You know, what do you like about our program? Tell me about yourself. Very open-ended, like just wanting to get to know you a little bit uh, and trying trying to find ways to be your advocate, just as you're saying. Um, And so, you know, while there is certainly a lot of room for preparation and a lot of things, I think we'll talk a little bit later about some, some insights that we have and thoughts that we have about how to prepare for interviews. But I think at the end of the day, um, you, you know, open or closed file. A lot of it is just trying to get to know you and trying to determine if you're if you're a good fit, if you're a good person. You know, yeah, they would want to spend the day with you. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. And I think on the note of you know sometimes canned questions, I remember clearly one of the one of the stations at one of the interviews. Um, I had this cycle. You know, you could feel like you know this individual was just rattling questions off a list, and I was like. I really hope you like, cause like for me, like when I'm answering questions, there's times where I'm like, oh, you know, if, if this person like pokes at this a little bit more, I can go in this direction and like, perfect. And sometimes it happens and I'm like, yeah. oh man, I'm so happy you asked that question. Like, let's talk. Um, and there's other times where like, they just, you can tell they have a script that they're sticking to. And, and it's interesting, like, you know, the like you said, the the variation between interviewers is not super disruptive by any means, but it's interesting in hindsight where sometimes you've got interviewers where it just, it seems so comfortable. And there's times where if you're not experienced, it can be misconstrued as, oh, like this person doesn't like me when really they're just a stoic person, right? Like they're not, uh, and as they should be, you know, they're not very reactive, we'll say. Um, and I think, especially if you haven't done an interview before, you can really take that the wrong way. And sort of alluding back to your point, uh, you know, the, the Portuguese speaking interviewer, uh, sometimes, you know, if, if you feel like you're behind the eight ball early on in an interview, it like, you know, it's easy to let that snowball, especially, you know, in, in your era when it was in person. Right? At least for us now, you know, you're not in a room, you know, you're not around other people. Like when you're in that break, nobody can see you. Right. So you can really yeah. gather yourself. Um, and, well, and you're still, you're still in your own space. You know, even if you're not in your own house, you're in some sort of place that is familiar to you and some fact. Exactly. Right. And it's very different from, you know, being in a different city, walking into a different building you're not on your home turf. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so even just being in that environment, I think at least in my experience, you know, having, having done it at home and having done it at, at the away stadium, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a home field advantage, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. And I tell students this all the time, even with respect to the MCAT, right? Like it's natural, especially if it's your first time taker for your score to go down because you you just, no matter how hard you try, you can't simulate that MCAT environment, right? You know, you got a palm scan, you got to get patted down. They inspect your glasses like you're James Bond. And, um, you know, they, they don't mess around. But um, I was curious, you know, with, throughout the interview experience, Eric, did you have any like cool sort of quirky like mini experiences, so to speak. Like, was there anything that a school did that you were like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like for me, I had a school give out like uh, DoorDash gift cards um, as, oh, you, know, yeah. you, know, you, you know, treat yourself to lunch on interview day. It's like, oh my goodness. Like if I get in, like this is my top choice. This is the spot. My gift card. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, you know, not necessarily, but just like the, the gesture, right? Like, hey, like, we want you guys to interview here. Like we want you guys to feel sort of welcomed. Uh, whereas, you know, another school I interviewed at, um, 
you know, it was like very cut and dry. Like this is your interview date. There will be zero accommodations. Like you, we didn't get to choose when you interviewed. Uh, you know, this is the date, this is the time. If you've got a conflict, figure it out. And yep. like just two opposite ends of the spectrum of, we'll say hospitality pre-interview. Uh, I was curious if you had any uh, similar experiences to both sides. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting, uh, it is an interesting question. It's not something I'd really thought about because I, I can think of one one program that I went to that did seem genuinely excited that we were there. And again, I think it's changed with from the in-person to the to the post-COVID uh, video interviewing. You know, we had one program that gave us while we were there, uh, gave us like a little bag with some stuff, a swag bag, I think they called it. And it had, you know, some some branded uh, goodies and it had some food and something local. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that was fun. It was like, wow, they put some effort into this. Like they're, they're exactly like you said, they're excited that we're here. And I had another similar to your experience that um, they brought us in and they gave us like a five minute intro at the beginning. And then they were like, here's a map of the school and your interview times are on the back and we'll see you there at those times. And it was like, you know, it was like 7.30 a.m. And it was like, oh, your interview is like on the other side of the city, <laughs> like in this other building across campus yeah. at 10.45 and like good luck finding something to do between now and then. You know what I mean? So that was a little bit of a turnoff. Like, okay, these people didn't really put any... You know, or maybe they put thought into it and maybe the resources weren't there. I, you know, I don't know what the situation was, but right. but it was definitely less of a warm welcome. And, uh, you know, similarly in, in the video interviewing era, there were a couple of, I, I don't know what happens, you know, with, with medical school interviews right now and what they're doing. I do know that for some of the residency programs that I interviewed for, uh, not many of them, but some of them had things that they would send in the mail, you know, like, and it's not anything big, but it was like, oh, you know, a notebook or some stickers or just something silly. But again, it's the gesture and it it makes a difference. And it's kind of funny because it's probably pretty low budget and they do it for everyone that interviews there. So it's not like a personal, like, you're so great. We're sending you this notebook, you know, but just the, just the fact that they do something for you at all is it makes a difference in the way that you're viewing the program. And so I'm not going to lie. As soon as I got the email with the, the gift card, I immediately went online. I was like, did other people get this? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> is and, I the only one? <laughs> uh, to, yeah. to the surprise of no one at all. I was not the only one. Uh, but uh, no, I, I like I agree 100 percent. Like I think just something that makes you feel comfortable going to the test day, something that immediately gives you positive associations with the school that you're applying at. Um, and it just, you know, there's something to be said for a school that's proactive and saying, Hey, like we want you here, like you're here for a reason. And, um, you know, and at least for me, minus a hand or minus a couple, pretty much every interview that I had was a full day experience and that it starts with, you know, a welcome session that's anywhere from a half hour to an hour and change. Then you've got your interview or interviews that last anywhere from an hour to three hours. And then you've got an info session or a series of info sessions either that day or later in the week. Um, And, you know, obviously the, at least for me anyway, I found those welcome sessions all to be fairly similar in the sense that, hey, you know, we're glad you're here. This is how the interview is going to go. Uh, remember points X, Y, and Z specific to this interview format. And, you know, if you stutter or stumble at any point, that's okay. You know, just words of encouragement. Um, but what I found really cool was the info sessions after. Uh, I had one, and I'm, I'm never going to forget this. And, um, you know, should I get into this school? It very well could be where I end up. Um, it was... It was a session led by a number of the different deans. And mm. one of these like mini sessions was looking specifically at how, um, you know, the, the university supports its students financially. And so it's, it was not just, oh, look at, you know, our median student debt compared to the nationwide average. Because anyone can do that. But 
this was such a well thought out presentation where, uh, you know, the dean walks you through, okay, take this difference, right, of how much you'd be saving by coming to school here. And I think uh, the median, and I could be off on this, but I think if I remember correctly, he mentioned the median med school debt across the United States being somewhere between two and $300,000, somewhere in that range. Sounds about right. And so he said, you know, if you just take half of that, because their, their big sort of recruitment tool was, you know, how they make med school affordable. Yeah. And so he was saying, you know, take $100,000, okay? Because some people, and, you know, I've gotten this advice in the past where people will say, dude, like, even if the school you apply to doesn't have financial aid, like go, like your debt evaporates when you're a doctor. And this Dean said something that immediately resonated with me. He says, I don't know, you know, what environment these people grew up in, but $100,000 is a lot of money. Like if I don't have to pay it, I don't want to. And I'm like, that's my kind of guy. Relatable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like I was saying, such a well thought out presentation where um, he walks you through what that $100,000 can turn into. For starters, $100,000 of med school debt ends up being like one hundred and eighty dollars after you pay off all the interest on it too. Yeah, for sure. And if you take that $100,000 or take that $180,000 rather that you're going to end up paying, say you put it in like an S&P 500. That was the example this guy gave. And really smart sort of... Uh, we'll say persuasive tool, really, really smart approach. He was saying, you know, in between now and the age of retirement, you know, say you're looking at 30 years, right? If the S&P fund performs over the past 30 years, or sorry, over the next 30 years, the way it has over the past 30 years, that $180,000 turns into anything from three to $10 million. Oh, really? Wow. That much. I guess I don't know enough about finance, but that seems like a lot of money. <laughs> Neither did I, but I'm just like, <laughs> it just, it opens your eyes. And granted, of course, they're going to tell you that because that will, that's what makes their school attractive sure. in your eyes. But I think one of the things that I took away from the interview process was the quality of some of these info sessions where um, you know, and this was my first interview cycle and I was always of the mindset that I need to sell myself to these schools. And then you get into these sessions and they're trying to sell us yeah. on that. And it's just like, this is so cool. And I think that's something that I want people to know is like, as much as you're competing for them, they're also competing for you. Right. And, you know, not to say, you know, wear that cape very effusively, but, you know, just be mindful of, you know, they need to earn your decision yeah, to some extent, not necessarily more or less than you need to earn theirs, but it, it is very much like speed dating where it needs to be mutual. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I, and I think we'll, I think we'll have to have another episode in the future about how to pick a med school. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful, Ahmed, that you'll have a handful of choices and you can kind of walk out of your decisions and, and Jaden and I will talk about ours because I think it's easy to get caught up in trying to get in. And obviously it's, it's a mountain of a task, but at the end of the day, you know, a lot of us end up with multiple offers. And so then there's a whole other, a whole other conversation about, you know, what are you going to do and, and how are you going to determine where it is that you want to be? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's funny. I'm just comparing, I have a twin brother as well. And he's he's in business, and I I won't get into you know the specifics of what he's what kind of job he has because I don't really understand it very well. But you know he interviews for a job, and they're like, oh yeah, come out to you know across the country, and we'll pay your first class flight, and then you know we'll take you to dinner and put you up at the Ritz Carlton, and and so like <laughs> it's funny to me that we're like, oh yeah, they give this great info session, <laughs> and that's like, oh, Lord. but you're right, you know, like these are. These are academic institutions and, you know, they don't have the funding that a multi-million Fortune 500 business has, but, but it is nice to see, you know, the effort that's being put out there and, and, you know, that they're, they're, they, they, they have an interest in, um, 
you know, for lack of a better word, convincing you that their institution is a good place to be. Yeah. But tell me, I'm I'm interested to know because you're I don't know if I if you would qualify yourself as Canadian, but you're in Canada. You've been there for a while, right? That's so right. You, you interviewed at some Canadian schools and some U.S. schools. I'd be interested to know kind of yeah what differences you noticed between the two. So, yeah, it's interesting. In Canada, so far I've only interviewed at the one school because I only applied to four Canadian schools. In Canada, for context, there's significantly fewer med schools than in the United States. Uh, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but in the province that I live in, there's six. Uh, I applied to four in the province, and then there's a handful elsewhere in the country, but uh, you know, it can be harder to get into as an out-of-province ap- applicant. Um, and so, so far, the one Canadian interview uh, compared to a handful in the U.S. And, um, and t- there weren't, you know, many startling differences. I, I think the thing in Canada is that, at least with some of these Ontario schools, you don't really get to choose your interview time. Like, they just give you an interview date. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's communication between the schools such that there's not conflict, at least among the Ontario schools. Um, and so they they minimize your flexibility, but they minimize the overlap as well. The other thing with uh, applications in Canada is it's not rolling. So as long as you submit before the deadline, everyone gets invited to interviews at the same time. And mm-hmm. everyone from all med schools in the province hear back on the same day. It's like second mm-hmm. week of May, which is actually for, interview, for interviews or for acceptances. For acceptance. You'll interview okay. anytime between February and end of March, usually. Uh, and then you hear back about an acceptance in eight, uh, early May. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's really the major difference is just the timeline. It's a little bit later than in the US. and. I was mulling this over. Um, if I'm in a position to get accepted on both sides of the border, uh, so for those who aren't familiar, the uh, the plan to enroll option on AMCATS, you've got to select a school and you've got to narrow your list down to one by April 30th. And so I could have an option in the US, but I could potentially get into a school or two in Canada after that point uh, where, um, you know, it changes things potentially depending on where I'm holding offers. And the other thing too, is if you're on a wait list somewhere, that really complicates things because, you know, you know, hypothetical where you're on a wait list at your top choice, they might give you a call three days before classes start. And, you know, depending on, the schools and the timelines, you might already be enrolled somewhere else. Like one of the med yeah. schools I applied to starts in July. Another one starts mid-August. Another one starts early September. And it's like, if that early September one is the one that you're holding an offer, sorry, if the, uh, the one that starts in July is where you're holding an offer at, your top choice starts in August and you're on the wait list there. You could be, you know, three weeks into classes and you get a call saying, hey, you know, we got an offer for you off the wait list. It's like, I'm already three weeks into med school. Sorry. Yeah. What Um, what happens in that instance? Are you are you locked into the July school? I think, yeah, especially because like by that point, you probably would have paid tuition. Paid tuition. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're pretty, pretty set at that point. But um, that's unfortunately they don't go right ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, that's the one thing I told myself is like, I'm not going to worry about hypotheticals. I'm only going to worry about what's actually in front of me. And as of right now, that's not something I have to deal with. But I've heard stories mm-hmm. of, you know, people, especially people who have applied to more schools than myself. Like there's people who apply to 30, 40 med schools. And I was not one of those people. I just, I didn't have the bandwidth to apply to that many schools. And I also didn't want to spend that much money applying. Uh, like between a secondary and additional primary, you're paying like 150 a school. And like, so I didn't want to, now granted in the grand scheme of things, and again, it depends on, you know, the environment you're raised, but some people will look at, yeah, I could spend five grand on my application. And I was not one of those people. 
Yeah. I, I was like, I'm very satisfied spending a thousand or fifteen hundred, whatever it was. And I was like, yeah. that's good. Because like for me, um, and again, everyone's mindset differs with this, but like I applied to places, as you mentioned, I was a Canadian athlete. I applied only to places that give gave international students financial aid for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to pay that much money if I don't have to. Yeah. And number two, I think you can learn a lot about a school's acceptance or willingness to accept international students from their financial aid policy. Sure. Yeah. So if they really wanted to bring you there and recruit you and that, you know, do all this stuff, they would incentivize you to apply. But there was one school that I was considering at one point. I was like, yep, we don't offer aid to international applicants and we need four years worth of tuition in an escrow account before the first day of classes. And I was just like, immediately off my list, like no yeah. chance. And yeah. uh, a friend of mine applied to the same school and as a fellow Canadian and didn't realize that policy. And he was like, even if I get in, there's no chance I'm going. Yeah. And it's just like, but in any case, I think um, what I want to conclude with is, you know, based on our experiences interviewing, what would we tell, you know, maybe a younger version of ourselves, maybe more relevant to you, Eric, than I, because I might still be in the middle of interviewing, but, um, or, and what would we share with others? And I think a couple of things that I take away from this interview cycle, number one is, you know, like I mentioned earlier, understand that these people that are interviewing you are looking for reasons to accept you, not necessarily reasons to reject you, right? If someone's, if a university has sent you an invite to interview, that means they're, they've objectively decided that your application was better than others and they're interested in learning more about you, right? And so use that to your advantage, right? Draw confidence from that. I think the other thing too, and sort of building off of what Eric said earlier with one of his stories was you might stumble at some point in an interview. It's okay. And honestly, I think it might even be a blessing in disguise because it shows how you can handle adversity in a high stakes, high stress situation. Right. And, you know, obviously it differs by interview format. Like if it's completely async, like one of the ones I had, maybe it becomes a little bit harder to rebound because you don't have that, uh, you know, that human element on the other side. But I think, you know, just have confidence knowing that these people are looking for reasons to accept you and you're there for a reason. I think going into my first interview, I think this was actually a bit of a curse in hindsight. Uh, the very first interview I got in this cycle was at one of the highest, we'll say, ranked schools I applied to. And now I do want to preface this by saying I don't really look into these rankings at all. Um, but yeah, I'll second that. Uh, I'll second that without going further into it right now. But yeah, they don't mean a lot. And so, but like mentally, I'm like, oh crap, like this was, you know, one of them. And, and I think this is a little bit different than the ranking, but like it was objectively one of, or if not the most competitive school I applied to from a standpoint of number of applications, number of interviews, number of acceptances, and then, you know, some of their metrics like GPA median, MCAT median, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that was the very first interview invite and very first scheduled interview that I had. And so going into that, I, you know, I'm expecting, you know, this guy cured cancer and this guy's a Nobel laureate and, yeah. you know, a bunch of just Ivy League valedictorians. And, but then I get into this and uh, we're in this sort of Zoom conference room um, prior to the welcome session and people are talking and you hear, you know, somebody's from, you know, Rice University in Texas and some like, some school that I had personally never heard of in Northern New York and, you know, uh, a school in, uh, school in California that I'd also never heard of, which is saying something cause I lived in California for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think there was a university of Iowa and like now granted there were some Ivy league people in that room as well, but like 
not to a point where I'm like, I'm out of place. Um, and I think that, you know, thinking back to being in that Zoom room brings up one other piece of advice, which is other people are experiencing the same stress you are and the same nerves you are. And I can say this with confidence because in that Zoom room, you know, we're chatting as people are checking into the, the interview session and like some of the things that I heard, I was like, oh, okay, like I can definitely do this. Like one, one person asked, you know, has anyone ever done one of these before? And I'm like, okay, phew. All right. We're good. Take a deep breath. Yeah. And, and another, and like, granted, I didn't, I would say these are more flukes than the norm, but another person says, um, you know, I don't particularly love talking about myself. So I'm, I'm, you know, we'll see how this goes. And like saying this in the zoom room with all the other, all the other interviewees. And I'm just in my head, I'm like, okay, not that like, I, and I do want to clarify, you know, this isn't me, you know, wishing poorly for others. This is me saying, okay, I'm not alone in being anxious. Yeah. I'm not alone. in I'm not an imposter. Exactly. Right. And like, you know, I think after that first interview, I was able to go into later ones knowing number one, like I said, other people have that same stress. And then number two, I'm now experienced, right? This isn't, you only have one first interview, right? And after that, uh, regardless how it goes, there's something that you can draw from it that, you know, can give you confidence going into future ones. And so that's my biggest, those are my biggest three areas of advice is understand that these interviewers are your advocates, right? That you're at that interview for a reason, like somebody at that institution or more likely a group of people came together and said, we want this person, like we want to learn more about this person. And then understand that if you're stressed, that's okay. Pretty much everyone is because if you're not stressed, that means, you know, you know, either hats off to you, or maybe it just doesn't mean as much. Like if you think about it, if you're interviewing at a school that, you know, regardless, you're not accepting an offer of admission, it's just, you know, uh, a plan B we'll say, you're probably not that stressed going into that interview. Right. But I think just recognize that nerves mean you care and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful thoughts. You know, I think I wholeheartedly agree and I think it's easy to get into your own head. And, and so some of these thoughts about, you know, recognizing that you're not alone and that people are kind of trying to cheer you on and, and looking for ways to, to advocate for you are important. Uh, I have a couple of thoughts as well. Just some some advice on interviewing and i didn't get to talk about this much at the beginning we were talking about the multiple mini interviews um but in med school i did some of the multiple mini interviewing and uh, oh yeah yeah it's interesting this is not my advice but just as an aside you talked about how you like the mmis and from the kind of admissions committee perspective um we really like the mmis as well for a lot of reasons uh one of which being that kind of like diffuses responsibility um and and minimizes bias right right of one two-hour interview with one person then it's like they either liked it or they didn't right <laughs> but if you have Absolutely. you know 15 five-minute interviews with people then yeah a trend's going to emerge right and so i think that's that's part of why we're kind of shifting in that direction towards having a lot of a lot of data points um but you know as an MMI interviewer, you know, some of the things were like, we would do uh, kind of like role play scenarios, or we would give someone a task to do. Sometimes we would pair up interviewees and have them do something together and see how they were and things like that. Um, and sometimes I would ask a question. And so my first piece of advice would be, although what we talked about, you know, you don't have to have a, a canned answer for every point on your resume and things like that. I have some prepared answers, have some, have some experiences that you can draw from. Um, some of these things that we talked about, like, tell me about yourself, why are you interested in medicine? You know, there are a million questions out there that people will say, you need to prepare for these things. But I would say those, those two in particular and, and why our institution, those are things Definitely. that you can have 
some some answers for because when I saw someone who was like a deer in the headlights to those things, then I'd be like, okay, you know, these are pretty basic things. <laughs> you probably should yeah. have thought of this before you got in the room. You know what I mean? And um, even connecting that back to, you know, studying your primary application, like these are things that if you do want to go to this school and you do want to be a doctor, they're not going to take a lot of rehearsal, right? Like if you genuinely want to it's, go to it's this coming, school, it's genuine. Exactly. There's a reason, right? There's something yeah. that made you say, I want to go here, right? Now, what that reason is depends. Maybe there's a program, maybe there's a faculty member. Uh, maybe there's a financial or a geographical component, right? But there was something, right? And same yeah, thing, why absolutely. medicine, right? And so um, definitely, you know, that was one of the biggest things that helped me in my prep was recognizing like, yes, these are critical questions that can be hard to answer. But ultimately, like, you know, don't think about what is the right answer with those. Like, what is your answer? Exactly. And uh, you know, we don't have to talk about this too much longer, but I will just say, you know, it's sometimes it can be obvious when someone is trying to tell you what they think you want to hear, right? Yep. If you say why medicine and they're like, well, like, I, I won't get into specifics, but there are some like very cliche things. And, you know, I, I agree with you, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the perfect answer, but, you know, try not to go on Google and say, what should I say when they ask me why medicine? Like, just just really think about it and and try to be honest with yourself and genuine. If yeah. the answer is I want to make a lot of money, that's probably not a great answer. But most other things, you know, are are acceptable. And I think people, interviewers, appreciate the honesty and and genuine nature of a, of a good and and true answer. Yeah. Um, so that I'll say. Um, so have some prepared answers. I think is one. Number two, I would say, is to just like practice talking to people, not necessarily in interview format, but like, you know, if you're standing in line, like talk to the person next to you about what they're doing. And if you're, you know, with a bunch of people at business school and you're not a business person, like talk to them about business things and see what they have to say. One, because it broadens your horizon and it makes you more interesting to talk to, but two, because I think it can be really intimidating um, to roll up to an interview and someone that you've never met and who is much more experienced than you and kind of holds the keys to your fate in their hands. And so putting yourself in kind of uncomfortable situations where you have to talk to people is, is really good practice. And again, it doesn't have to be an interview format, um, but just like getting outside of your comfort zone and having a conversation with people that you maybe wouldn't otherwise makes you a better interviewee and outside the scope of like interviewing for medical school, it makes you a better doctor because you're going to be talking with people every day who may not be associating with otherwise, right? People from all walks of life. So I think that's important. Number three um, is similar to number two in that I would certainly practice actual interviews and I would practice them with your friends and with your family. And I would practice them with people at the, you know, professional development center and I would practice them with, you know, your dad's buddy who is, uh, you know, owns his own pest control business or whatever, like anyone that will sit down with you even for five minutes and ask you a question and give you the opportunity to answer. I think it can be valuable, just as valuable doing it on Zoom as it would be in person. Uh, I would do both, you know, and I would give yourself yeah. those opportunities because it just makes a difference and it sucks to do the the prep and sucks to do the practice like it's not fun i don't like doing it no one likes doing it but it really yeah. does make a difference i think it's hard to overstate the difference that it can make in your preparedness and in your ability to interview well 100 percent echo that like i gotta give huge props to a buddy of mine we played football together in high school and college and he's now in med school uh and he's a year older than me and uh, during like before this cycle, before my first interview, you know, I was at a coffee shop, we hopped on zoom and we went through like four or five questions and, uh, just hearing, you know, in hindsight, what I said, what the strengths of what I said were, what I could have done better. Um, and just getting exposed to different question types. And I think for me, hearing feedback was the biggest thing. It wasn't just yeah. doing it, but it was having somebody who I knew cared about my well-being give me honest feedback, you know, and like just building off that point, like 
don't have, you know, a cheerleader, a metaphorical cheerleader do your interview for you. You know, oh, you know, you did so good. Like, no, you need someone who with a hawk's eye can point out everything you could have done better, not because they want to bring you down, but because they want you to be successful. And I had a friend do that for me and it was major. And, um, you know, yeah, just absolutely echo what Eric said. Like it's, it's such a, you know, it's such a huge mental boost to get that dry run in a low stress setting that, you know, it just, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, and I, I said this last time that I interviewed a bunch of places and I didn't get into that many. So I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what happened (laughs) and, you know, I think we spend so much time preparing for the MCAT. You know, this is an MCAT podcast. So we listen to the podcast and we do the practice tests and we do the reading and watch the videos all in preparation to take the test. And then when we're, you know, writing our personal statement or our essays, then we'll draft and redraft and have someone read them, like you said, with with a hawk's eye and being critical, you know, not sugarcoating it. Right. We do all those things. And then it comes to interviewing and you know, maybe this isn't true for everyone, but I think for many of us, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'll be fine. You know, I have some, yeah. I've, I've thought about it a little bit and I read through my, you know, I read through my CV and I think that's where at least I, I can't speak for everyone, but I think that's part of what went wrong for me was that I took the interview lightly and it's arguably the most important part of your application yeah. once you get to that point, right? A lot of everything else is kind of to get you in the door and then the interview kind of is is the linchpin in in your application the last thing i'll say um and this is less of advice for being a good interviewee but more kind of uh in preparation for what we had talked about previously which is trying to choose a medical school and if you interview at you know more than four or five places or even more than two or three it's hard to keep them all separate and it was hard when you were in person and i imagine it's even harder when you're on zoom and so i would really recommend after you do an interview to sit down you know if you have a spreadsheet with some different columns of things that you're evaluating or not and you just write down some bulleted notes but to say this is how i felt this guy gave a great you know post interview session about financial aid and it really made me feel like they cared about me or these people just, you know, they just gave me a sheet of paper and said, meet this person at this place at this time. And that's your interview. And then left right. us to our own devices. And it felt like they didn't care or, you know, little things or, you know, whatever the case may be, but to write down some of the specifics, some of the thoughts and feelings that you had, um, and you know, whether or not you liked it, maybe give it a grade or something like that, but it's helpful to have at least some points that you can then go back to in three or four months when you're getting into schools and needing to make a decision and you can say, oh yeah, when I interviewed at that place back in October and it's now April, this is what I felt like. And I I really like this or I didn't like that because, you know, you can do interviews over the course of four or five or six months and it can be hard to compare those things one to another. And so I think it's really important and something that, that can often be overlooked because we're just hoping to get into one school, right? Yeah, I I think, you know, case hopefully that that we get into more than one school, then it's really helpful to have those notes at the end of the day to be able to determine this is where I want to be or or how I want to do things. And and this is why, you know, absolutely. And to wrap things up, I think guys just having the confidence in yourself to know like, hey, like I've put in the work on my MCAT and my GPA and my extracurriculars and then my application to earn myself an interview and you don't want to go in with the mindset of I'm just hoping and praying to get into one because obviously we're grateful to get in, but you need to have that confidence of I've put myself in a strong position. I, you know, this is maybe for a later date, but obviously apply to schools where you know you're going to be competitive. Uh, but you know, having that confidence of I know I'm competitive at these places, I belong at these places, like. I've earned the right to have options and just trusting that if you do put in the work all the way through the end of the process, which like Eric mentions, includes the interview, you're going to put yourself in a position to be able to make a decision and to be able to make a decision is a privilege. And that's what I want for all of you guys. So keep putting in outstanding effort and you're going to have that decision to make when it's your time.
So all the best to you guys, whether you're applying this upcoming cycle and a future cycle, or you're in the current cycle, maybe just wrapping up interviews or with a few pending, uh, just keep that in mind. And hopefully what you heard from Eric and I today will serve you well in your med school application process, interview process, and uh, hopefully culminate in an acceptance to medical school. 